episode 81 of The Passive Hang. Welcome back, guys. It's Fayon here. Today, we are joined with Craig Mallett, who is a teacher of the Dashuan Taoist tradition, which covers a lot of Chinese internal martial arts. Craig and I recently connected as he came down to Melbourne to teach his internal strength workshop. In the workshop, he gave a fantastic overview and introduction into his school, as well as sharing many different tools which challenged me physically, mentally, and energetically, if I must say. We did various forms of standing, breathing, and intent practice. In this conversation, we go through Craig's backstory as he was involved in the early days of the rise of movement culture before he committed to the study of the Dashuan Taoist tradition. Dashuan focuses on the emergence of knowledge via practice rather than only talking about it as ideas. And so, in honor of this, Craig has shared a standing practice for us to do at the end of the conversation. So, listen on in. Stay to the very end and enjoy this special exclusive. Welcome, Craig, to the the Passive Hang. It's great to have you on here. You know, we connected physically, actually, last week. I attended Craig's internal strength workshop. When he came down here in Melbourne, which was, um, yeah, really great, I guess, chance coincidence with the timing because we only got introduced a few weeks beforehand by our mutual friend, Sebastian. So shout out, Sebastian. Thank you for that. And I attended this two-day workshop and I really enjoyed the way that you taught, I think, um, or introduced all these concepts to me because when I hear like sometimes the term of these like Chinese internal martial arts and a lot of the concepts um, are in a different language as well that I don't quite understand. It does sound like a whole like mysterious cloud that kind of seems a little bit unapproachable sometimes, but I think with what you shared was, was very approachable and I think the way that you explain things as well was very practical as well. So I really appreciated that. But um, welcome, Craig, to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. It's been been a, a number of years coming to this point of uh, doing exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I'm, I really aim to bring a clarity to these things that are a little bit shrouded in in mystery and uh, and uh, and. Uh, you know, with is changing the language, I do my best to use just English to explain it all, or if I use terms, explain what they mean in English. Then, then this is this is a big, uh, big part of my teaching is to bring this clarity uh, and the simplicity as well to it. it. It seems like you know you can get novels and novels about what chi means and stuff like this. It's like no, no, no. Let's just do a couple of practices and you'll get some experience for yourself, and then you don't have to think about it so much. Yeah, so for all those listening, like Craig, you're a teacher based up in Brisbane and you mm-hmm. teach um, via the school Dashuan. And something that you mentioned in the workshop was that um, that actually means like the, the mystery or some part of that word is is, is the mystery. Mm-hmm. So whilst we're on this topic of like um, mystery, I guess, yeah, what do you mean by that? What is the mystery? 
the the name of the school Da means big or great or grand, and Xuan means mystery or or secret. Um, but the the idea of Xuan is something that's there the whole time, and uh, you just need to shine a light on it and reveal it. Then it's kind of referring to this same thing you see referred to in a lot of uh, spiritual traditions of the the concept of of Dao or, or or Buddha nature or or the Godhead in the Christian traditions is this thing that precedes everything. It's kind of the not really comprehensible, but um, but the idea of the practice is to slowly return to this source to to kind of touch it again, to have an experience of it uh, or something like this. Um, then the the name of the school kind of refers to to this mystery of of life that we want to reveal through practice, and that's that's a, a really big point. That last point, it's not the not something that'll just happen by by luck or by fluke or by just kind of going about your life in a normal way. It really has to be through uh, an effort or a practice. Yeah. So let's focus on that for a little bit, because that's something that I really resonated with, which was that um, you, uh, you underlined that within the school, it's really about, I guess, um, uncovering knowledge via direct practice rather than, just reading conceptually and just taking it at face value. So could you expand a little bit on that as a concept? Yes, sure. So the the basic idea we have in our school is that um, you have all these concepts, these frameworks, these theories, these guidelines, and they are like guideposts that are to lead you somewhere. Then the the theory itself uh, is more like a pointer, right? Um, it's it's uh, something that... If you follow it, uh, it'll take you somewhere, but the somewhere isn't the thing, like the map isn't the territory, as they say. Um, so it's, it's, it's really more like a map that we can follow. And, you know, it's coming from a lot of people who've gone through this process over and over again through many, many, many generations in the school. And it's like they hand you a map and say, this way, don't go there, there's a cliff, you'll fall off. Uh, this way is a dead end. Why don't you go this way? There's a secret path through there, something like this. So. So it's really coming back to this idea of we don't just want information for information's sake. It's like, what do we do with the information and how do we change as a result of that? Um, uh, a simple example is you go to, say, a weekend workshop. Uh, it's nice and you have a nice experience at the workshop. But what, what do you do with that, right? Is it just a moment in time that passes and then you don't investigate further or you don't change your life? Or is it something that really affects you to the point where you you change the way you act, you change the way you behave with others and so on and so forth. So we're really about this doing more than uh, just having concepts for the sake of concepts. Of course, the concepts are really important. They're this non-manifest aspect that uh, frames what we do and it's like, a, you know, like the guiding star. Then it's really important, but it's not the only thing. We have to go from the conceptual into the lived, from the, the non-manifest idea into the manifestation of living that concept, living the the quality that that concept points to. And this is the the super, super important thing that we have in our school that, uh, you know, however you hear me talk about X, Y, Z, or you hear the teacher of the school, the whole school, which is my teacher, Serge Auger, he can talk about some fantastical things. And at that point hearing it, it's only just something you heard, right? It's just information. Then... What do we do with that information? We use it to get inspired to practice. And with enough practice, we have an experience of our own and go, oh, right, that's kind of what he was talking about. 
And of course, if you dive into the practice, it goes deeper and deeper because every year I go, oh, that's what he was talking about. And then the next year I practice more, it's like, oh, actually it was more like this. And it kind of, it slowly refines through the practice and the, the qualities get more embedded and they also change a little bit. They evolve, right? And this is the, the main idea we have that if we keep practicing, we can forever continually evolve. We can forever find new stuff about ourselves. We can forever get more clarity about how we work and how the world works. And we can, you know, it's not a finish line we get to where it's like, okay, cool, done. I know myself. I can stop practicing now and just watch Netflix until I die. <laughs> then, <laughs> then, then it's really this idea of an ongoing investigation into this mystery, this this mystery that is life, that is uh, us in this world that we, you know, we don't get handed a, an instruction book when we um when we're born and uh, uh actually my teacher was saying that the the tradition the the dashwan uh tradition of practices is kind of like the instruction book it's just a never-ending one right you can perpetually get deeper and deeper and deeper yeah i like that um, because it kind of also um speaks to this um sometimes like i think People talk a lot about like the emptiness you feel when you engage with a, a lot of the information that's presented in the modern world in all the mm. different formats. You know, it's very stimulating. Um, you get like a lot of uh, different ways and formats of information that's thrown at you and uh, that can be like tiring in a way or mm. you, um, sort of overwhelming. And it's uh, kind of speaks to this idea that it's like, well, you're presented with all this information. What are you going to do about it? Uh, you know, do with it. And there is, um, yeah, you you have to actually start this process, which might be a long process of embodying, like, even if it's a simple idea, there are like depths of layers of uncovering to be like, oh, okay, like that's what it means, you know? And then five years later, it could be like, oh, that's what it means. And then that's where you... I guess, truly start transforming yourself to like em embody that and changing the way that, that you live. And, you know, I think this is a struggle probably even for myself at times when you've got tools such as, you know, like Instagram where people chuck like a thousand ideas at you within like 15 seconds. <laughs> and it's like, you know, um, it feels really nice, right? Because you're like, oh, cool. You know, I've got all this information at my fingertips. But in the end, if... Uh, like what you said, if you're if you're not manifesting that, then also it's a little bit like what is the point? And I think you kind of feel that a little bit because then it becomes like uh, you you start becoming a little bit disengaged from like the whole process itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we we talk about the a concept of grounding, um, which is really this kind of letting yourself sink into one thing, uh, and then then the grounding stops the scattering of. Uh, um, the mind, so to speak, where there's like so much information, uh, you can't make sense of it because there's this one that says it's like this. There's this one that's polar opposite. It says it's like this. Um, like, you know, you go on the internet these days and you can find every possible theory with every possible good rationalization. Sometimes they're not so good, but <laughs> mostly you can find some pretty good ones uh, with why you should do it this way. And it's just a, a minefield, right? It's so confusing. And if you start doing it all, you kind of get none of it, right? Because first of all, you're maybe doing two things that clash, that go directly against each other. And then you're going, well, that one says X and that one says Y, which one should I follow? And you get this kind of unsure thing. And um, the idea of the grounding is to really sink into something so you know for yourself uh, if that thing's a good thing for you.
Yeah, let's talk about this a little bit more because, you know, coming from like the 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 movement perspective, movement culture sort of side, you know, there's always never-ending um, sort of discussions about generalists versus specialists and, you know, <laughs> the um, uh, the benefits of like a very open, broad perspective. But uh, I think the, the dark side of that as well is that, as you mentioned, like your focus can become scattered because everything is available for you as well. So yeah. Can you speak a little bit more about this concept of just like grounding yourself on one thing and really trying it um, and what you've noticed with uh, when you've, you've done that instead of, I guess, yeah, scattering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a point that kind of needs balance. Uh, it, we're from a, I'm from a balance school, you know, the, the, the Tao is all about this yin yang opposites in, in balance. So the, this, this idea of reaching kind of horizontally to try lots of different things is uh, actually an important piece of our school. But we want to do that, explore the field, and then from that exploration, find the thing that's for us and then dive into it. And really, so, so we actually have a phase where it goes from like a generalist to a specialist um, in whatever you do. And the idea is with the depth of knowledge on one topic, if you go deep enough, it'll teach you about all the other topics. Mm. Um, so within our school itself, uh, there is like it's it's a like a university, right? There are so many topics, uh, and you can find anyone in the school. And by about like six months into training, they're a little overwhelmed with how many different things they should do, how many directions there are, and oh, should I do this or that? And the, the, this is uh, by design in the school. It gives this chance for each individual to explore the things that they like, that they don't like, that work for them, that don't work for them, and then the grounding idea, it's a bit like you've got a menu at a um, at a, a restaurant, right? You've got all these options, all these nice foods, but if you don't decide on one, you sit there going that, wait, no, that, wait, no, that, wait, no, no and you never order. <laughs> then then, you, then you're in a, in a kind of uh, stuck thing from too much information. Then you just go, I'm going to do this, and by virtue of doing this, I'm not going to do all the other things. And this is something that... Uh, that I feel we struggle with in the modern world, this this narrowing down onto one and letting go of the the other options. Uh, not to say that they're bad, just that they're not for me, right? Look at a menu. Just because you chose one meal, it doesn't mean you hate every other meal on the menu. It just means you know that meal is for you on that day. And this is the idea of the grounding of the going deep and and driving into something. Um, and, and it's really, uh, you know, when you do it, it's going to confront this FOMO thing that's everywhere, the fear of missing out, uh, yep. you know, that, that we're all a bit worried that we'll miss out. And uh, personally, as I went through that, you know, because I came from a broad history of doing lots and lots of different things, then when I focused down to, to work in the tradition, it was really a, a difficult moment. It was like I had to let go of these things that like really, really cool practices um, that I knew worked really, really well that I just didn't have time to do and knew I needed to focus on this stuff. and after I went through that process, I was better for it. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about your your background because you know you originally hail from Canberra, um, and you know you were involved with I guess the, the movement culture earlier on. And you know mm-hmm. I know you were at least you know from my like internet stalking, you used to be like around in Kit Lachlan forums and the um, mm-hmm. the old GST forums and things yeah. like that. In in many a, a valuable discussion, you know with other characters such as Emmett Lewis and, and things like that. So, yes. you know, what, um, tracking back to that sort of moment in, in time, 
Where did it all sort of like start for you with this like interest in physical practice and what were your early explorations there? Yeah, so as a as a kid, I was reasonably physical. I was kind of a nerdy kid, um, but reasonably physical. I actually grew up in Darwin. Um, so this is like a, this almost like I, I feel like Darwin to the rest of Australia is like Australia to the rest of the world. You know, it's got a kind of mythical. Yep, very they're different. A bit, <laughs> they're a bit weird up there. Um, yeah, and it's a weird, weird place like having left it. But, um, but I was quite physical. I always enjoyed, uh, you know, I remember I'd be up in trees all the time climbing balancing on, on logs and stuff when I was little and I played field hockey, um, which, which is a, a, I did too. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, so I think I played that until at the end of high school. Um, and then it was at the end of high school that I moved to, to Canberra and I was in Canberra and I was geeking out hard. You know, this was the first moment I'd left home and didn't have any parents going, get off the computer, get outside. And I just went like, Oh yeah, I can just play like, you know, 15 hours a game, day of games or whatever. <laughs> Uh, it, it went a bit overboard and and luckily a bunch of my friends that I was with at the time, we all kind of spotted that it was too much and said, okay, we got to kind of balance this with with some practice. And we found this uh, this teacher in the phone book that was um, a traditional martial arts teacher and we we didn't want to go to the gym. So we said, let's give that a crack. And we we all got kind of hooked and, and ended up with that teacher for, I think it was like nine years something like this yeah. um, from it was it was mid 2003 when I started at any rate and mm -hmm. somewhere around um, end of 2012 I think I can't remember um, that he closed the doors but uh, even towards the end of that I was like super tight right he was like you're so stiff you know the teacher constantly trying to give me things to do to help this stiffness and and at one point um, I found out that Kit Lachlan lived very very close to my house um and i went around and we had i think a three hour like it was just like geek out let's 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 be straight with what this is it's just like me and him getting geeky and giddy about about training topics and i was telling him all about my history and he was telling me about his and i ended up really good friends with him and at the same time i'd uh met simon thacker around 2005 or six um, because he uh, trained similar internal martial arts to to what that my first teacher taught me at the time, so we met in a park the first time and and had a bit of a play and and slowly we became good friends too. So I had these kind of buddies outside my martial arts circle, uh, my martial arts teacher circle, and um, they were they were the explorers, right? Simon and Kid are, are the famous tinkerers that like to to play with things and and like. Uh, explore them and I, I really got into that with them and and Simon hadn't quite um, formulated his ancestral movement concept at the time but he was already playing with the the big ideas and uh, we started teaching co-teaching some classes or we're teaching classes on different side of the week and we put together the retreats that he now's run, now runs and um, and then my teacher finished uh, my first teacher uh, had had two young young boys at the time and said I don't have enough time to to run the school so he ended up closing the school for for a, a period and I was like set free into the world of uh, you know gymnastic strength training stretch and flexibility ancestral movement with Simon I really uh, started liking investigating parkour a little bit I was never uh, super into parkour but just the idea of being able to vault being able to balance being able to jump well mm -hmm. um, 
I got right into uh, gold, uh, sorry, gymnastics bodies uh, when it had the, the forum back in the day. There was like a lot of uh, people on that forum exchanging. I think Ido Portal was there, Yuri, um, mm-hmm. a bunch of these kind of uh, names in the movement circles that most people know of these days. Uh, and it was like the first melting pot and the first uh, formulation of those generalist ideas were coming out of those forums, I'm pretty sure. Um, uh, and Ido, of course, went on to do his thing and, and Yuri his thing. And I, uh, I ended up teaching uh, MoveNet um, for about a year um, before realizing that wasn't quite for me. And the whole time I'm doing stuff side by side with Simon and we're just like tinkering with stuff in class. We've got a bunch of people. We're just trying stuff out. Uh, and and also at the same time online with Emmett Lewis, uh, we're investigating flexibility trying to work out which methods work, which ones don't, why, um, what's the, the, like, what's the concept behind it. And so it was this big period of like, like just like free for all tinkering. I would just get any and every. Sounds really cool. Yeah. It it was super fun. And and I'm super glad for it because I did a lot of stuff. My physicality, my athleticism bumped obviously quite high in that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just learned a bunch of what not to do as well, which is, almost as important as what to do, right? I messed up a bunch of times. I overdid or underdid things, um, training with bad training protocols, stuff like this. So, so that period was really, really fun. And and I did a lot of stuff. Um, and then about 2014, I think it was, I found my current teacher, Serge Ogier's blog, and he was like talking Taoist philosophy. And my first teacher actually presented a lot of Taoist concepts along with like Confucian and Buddhism. This is a really typical trifecta you get in, uh, in China. Um, and I saw this stuff. I'm like, Oh, this is like, you know, bringing back memories of training with my first teacher. And Mm -hmm. I was getting really, really excited again. Uh, and I kind of ended up clicking on a button that said distance training in English available. And, uh, and it, you know, I was, I was still doing the movement stuff the whole time. And I just added this as another component of, of these 20,000 things that I was doing. And at some point I realized uh, if I want to understand this, I got to go deeper. Um, there was actually a crucial, I almost didn't re- like renew my, my studentship after the first year of training. I was like, yeah, it's kind of the same as all the movement stuff. And then uh, thankfully uh, my friend Dave Wardman talked me out of that and said, no, no, no continue you should you should definitely dive into this you're you're obviously into it so so i jumped back in and and then i got to see serge in person and that's when everything changed that's when i realized that's what i wanted to do but yeah what do you think that you were searching for during that time like it sounds like you know you had this great great broadening like what we were Mm -hmm. talking about almost like uh this scattering uh, to explore in all these different fields and but there was there's still something within you that you were like not yeah. settled or you, you, yeah, you know, yeah. searching for something more. Like, what do you think that essence was that you were looking for? These days, I really feel for me personally, and, and it, you know, the more I do this, the more I realize how a personal thing it is. And it's not necessarily the case for everyone. And I don't think other people should be doing what I'm doing. But for me, it was really this, uh, this link to something bigger than me. Then this tradition that my teacher Serge has presented is like really old, and you get that sense when you get into it. There's a there's a link to a big history, fifteen hundred or so years of formal practice. Uh, you know, this is all recorded as well. He's got piles of manuals uh, with with 
the records of who's the teacher and when and stuff like this and and you get that sense right you get um uh you get this feeling that other people have done this before for a long time mm. and and you know that has two effects one it's kind of like belonging to a family um you know uh, uh not a, a blood family but you know like your group of friends it's like a family and and the second thing is it gives you a sense of ah right this is this has been really tried and tested this is not just uh with one person um and not just conceptually right because i realized a lot of the stuff i was doing with the movement training with this exploration was a frontier that is actually a mystery uh, you know i i was talking about longevity and stuff like that but i've like no one's actually seen it through with this particular method before these particular methods because they're all new in the way they're being done and i'm like what if in like 10 years it doesn't go the way we think it goes you know what if what if it breaks down somehow or the concepts don't hold up whatever and having this sense that someone else has already been through it and proven that it works and done that not just in one generation but many 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 generations through changing worlds changing times even changing cultures right because the, the traditions moved moved quite away around the world now it's uh come come from uh, like asia into into europe now where where it's headed by serge in paris so so it's this thing that seems to work in a you know a bunch of different contexts and that became really interesting to me to to just have a support that uh, it's it's yeah maybe maybe just proven yeah i think this is something important to note right yeah because um you know, like this concept of movement practice, it's new, exciting, you know, great, you know, um, but as you it's mentioned, the frontier, right? It's yeah, the, it, it is. It's, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to rag on that either. Cause I think the frontier is very important. We've got to mm-hmm. constantly push and, and it'll solidify into its, its own thing at some point, but it's, it's just new. So it's, that's going to take some time. Yeah. Cause I contrast this with, you know, like, um, uh, I practice capoeira as well mm-hmm. and, it's really nice, as you mentioned, to know that people have been practicing this for like hundreds of years and there is this um, element of it being like this cultural study, not just like this physical practice as well, which makes it very rich in depth. And, mm-hmm. you know, who knows, like movement practice might be the same in four, five, six hundred years as well. But there is also something to be said that for a practice to survive so many generations through so many different time periods, as, as you say, um, uh, across countries that there is some element of almost truth to that because it, it wouldn't have survived if it was not yielding some sort of results as, as well. Right. So you can sort of take, um, comfort in that and, this reminds me of some discussions I've had with another friend um, who uh, is an Ayurvedic practitioner, and it's the same thing there because uh, sometimes, you know, that might not align so much with like modern science and things like that as well, but there is some tradition there of many thousands of years of knowledge which still exist. So I don't think that can be ignored either. For that reason, there there is something there, and it is nice to lean on and sometimes put your faith into some of these things because of knowing that it is such uh um, yeah almost timeless concept that's been passed mm-hmm. down via so many people. Yeah, and and this uh this kind of slow build to what it is now gives us stability as well, right? It gives a um 
something like a reliability. And the tough part about it is it does need this face because these older systems are more in this slow, like slow and steady, building up a really, really progressive uh, foundation. And compared to our modern mind, compared to what we're used to seeing in the exercise field, it's weird as hell, right? It's like standing exercises where you're barely moving and maybe you're rocking and you're like, yeah, but I can see what the push-ups are doing and I can see what the handstands are doing and the people who are good at that, I can see that effect. Um, but a lot of these things have an effect that's way, first of all, slower to arrive and second of all, more subtle. Then it's it's it requires a real leap of faith to go into it. You know, we, we have all the concepts and we can see a teacher and go, oh yeah, that's really, really interesting. But at some point when you step through into those practices, uh, you will be met with this, what am I doing? I'm just standing here waving my arms about it doesn't make any sense to me at this point in time and and at that point uh, that's a that's an exit point for a lot of people um and you really have to have this like you know close your eyes and just jump into it and hope for the best uh and and thankfully it it uh for me at least it it uh that was a a lucky move uh, it it worked so we will talk a little bit about like these um, forms that you introduced in in the um, workshop, but um, you know I, I want to uh, first talk about like this concept of letting go that you mm-hmm. under underwent. You know, as you said, you were doing many things, and you know many of the cool things that you know, like uh, maybe a lot of the listeners are all engaging with, which are you know all are great stuff as well. But for you personally you said that you know you met your teacher surge and there was something that changed within you where you you knew that um your direction was shifting i guess yeah what what sort of cemented that and can you take us through like th- that process and how it was for you to actually like walk away from from some of these practices which you mm-hmm. obviously enjoyed a lot at some point yeah um i i actually know the moment specifically where it changed because it was a really really odd moment um I was doing loads of training. I think on that day I'd done maybe an hour or so of flexibility training. I'd gone through all my usual uh, strength, uh, you know, calisthenics, pull-ups, push-ups, whatever, levers and skin the cats and all these things, um, maybe some ring work. And then I'd gone to a gymnastics hall to practice tumbling in the evening. And it was like five hours of training in that day, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I got to the end and I was like, I haven't done my training yet. And there was just this like... And I was like, that was odd. I just did a lot of training and, and I feel, felt like I hadn't done the real stuff yet. And I like, I noticed that moment and I was just like, whoa, maybe, you know, the, the Taoist stuff is my training and that stuff's all kind of on the side. So from then, then on it flipped, mm-hmm. I, I was making sure I was doing my, my Taoist training first and foremost, and I still had stretching and flexibility and strength training and stuff going for, for quite a while after that. And basically, it just, it, you know, it slowly shifted. Um, uh, of course, meeting with uh, with Serge in person was a real game changer because he showed me some stuff. And I'm like, oh, right. not That's unusual stuff, unusual skills that he had, uh, unusual capacities and qualities. Um, and, uh, and I just got more and more interested. And then I traveled to Europe and met the other people in the school. And I was like, okay, cool. And, and uh, we did this grounding drill in the workshop, you know, where you stand and you push and 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 try not to get pushed over and all the rest and and a, a, another moment was I, I went into the school and there were some people who'd been training uh, maybe three or four years in the school um 
never done any athletic stuff like I had done. And of course my ego was, was out of control. It's like, I'll be right. I've done lots of training and they just like pushed me over. I was like, Oh dear. (laughs) I tried to push them and I couldn't go anywhere. And then they just pushed me over again. I was like, what, what's happened? What's all this training that I did? It didn't like set this quality of grounding in. It didn't connect the body. It didn't do any of these things that they're talking about in the school. And it was this, this moment of confrontation with, with myself realizing that, just because I'd done all that stuff didn't mean it had helped at all with, with this stuff in the school. And I had to basically start again. Mm. So, so that was a, a big moment of like a slap for the ego and, and, and also realizing it was a good moment because it made me realize that they're two uh, separate categories as much as the, the movement culture idea is to prepare you for everything. Um, And I feel well prepared for a bunch of things. It's just not that right. This is a totally um, different way of approaching things that needs its own uh, methods, its own uh, way of doing things. Uh, and I've really not met too many people who don't have to start again, you know, if they've come from another big background of physical anything, you know. The coordination, of course, helps. It may, helps you learn the exercises more quickly. But uh, for all the good things it helped me with, it also gave me some breaks that have uh, actually slowed process uh, processes down quite mm-hmm. considerably. So, yeah, it was like running into that. And then, then I was professionally teaching at the time. I'd been doing workshops all over Europe. I'd been coming back to Sydney and teaching classes on movement, on natural movement, tree climbing. We were doing balance. I was doing stretching classes. Um I remember teaching, uh, I was passing through Darwin in my hometown and I taught a, a, I think it was a strength and flexibility workshop, something like this. And I taught it and everyone was like, that was, a, that was really great. You know, the information was so good. And my wife was like, yeah, don't teach that ever again. You were just like dead inside. You were just like putting out information, but you could yep. tell you had no passion because she'd seen me teach the workshops with the Taoist stuff uh, in it and she's like when you do those like there's a fire inside that comes alive but when you did this you were just like a robot just going yeah do this and do this and do this and all the people really liked it but my wife's like don't (laughs) yeah so so there were a few moments like that where i i slowly realized that my my passion really lied in the in the dallas training yeah that's really cool you know you really listen to i guess this felt sense of where you're being drawn to and even uh it's kind of a bit countercultural and mm-hmm. also like challenging for yourself because obviously you know your your life is set up in one way where you're teaching you're earning like a financial living with like all this like other knowledge that um uh, that is helpful for other people but despite that you know you're not drawn any more passionate uh, towards it so mm-hmm. you've also had to reset to the beginning as yeah, well, yeah. entering into this school, like that would have been extremely cha- challenging as well, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, especially with at, at the time, it's like, uh, what did I start? 2003, so it's going on like 12, 13 years of, of accumulated knowledge that I basically just had to say, uh, start again. <laughs> um, and, and, and I'm so happy for that, right? Because that's actually the more I do that, the more I can, that the quality of letting go is actually a quality we train in the school. Uh, yeah. And then the, uh, as, as you saw, it's like the same as this quality of letting go of the tension in the body when we're doing the standing practices, you know, this melting idea, mm. um, which they call uh, sung in, in, in Chinese. It's to, to release. And this 
quality is actually really interesting because in our way of training, we have the idea of pushing things to be better, but at some point that makes a kind of pressure that makes tension. And if we want to get rid of tension, we have to push, 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 push until it's kind of pressurized and then release. And and then you kind of go through this cycle of, of pressurizing and releasing and pressurizing and releasing that can be, you know, short, as in we were doing in the exercises like per breath, we were doing it all really long, where, you know, over five years, over 10 years, you've you've built up this idea of this is the technique and this is how to do it and blah, blah, blah. And that gets stuck at some point and you have to release the technique too and, and let the quality express a little more uh, naturally then that's a, that's a, a tough thing, you know, because letting go also can't be forced. Mm. If I really try to let go, it doesn't work. Yeah. I've just got to like, it's like a, a, an out breath, like, ah, and it goes on its own. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot because, um, you know, uh, especially, I mean, if, if for my age, like there's um, still like this uh like great big expanding where there's oh it feels like this great big expanding where there's this uh a big accumulation of abilities skills all these sort of things but um you know at some point as well like i do think potentially maybe you can become like full or too full even if that's like just uh, the circumstances of your life or, you know, like uh, changing physical capacities, that sort of thing. So at some point you also have to be comfortable with like making room and making space. So I think about this a lot for, with um, ideas and idea generation and, and creativity as well, you know, like you can't enter into these things with like a very full mind, like a, a lot of these um, or like the best ideas that I have as well come from when you're like, you're you're in this like more empty mind state and but that can't be forced either you can't like sit down in a table sometimes and be like i'm gonna have an empty mind you know it happens when you're walking when you're engaging with something when yeah. you're actually letting this process of um of of emptying happen which sometimes is not even like directly like intentional or, or conscious as this period is supposed to be like letting go, but, but it happens. And then after that, you get this idea. It's usually when you forget all about it, that it works the best. Yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) And, and we, 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 you know, the, the people in the school have followed this effect for a long time. And so even with things like workshops, uh, we say like the work happens after the workshop, you do all this like exercises and pressurization and whatever, and you're trying to do the techniques really well and, you know, trying to learn really well. And then, Afterwards, you kind of forget about it and go talk to your buddies or, you know, watch a movie and suddenly there's like insights coming in and and changes happening. Even physically, things can release uh, in this period following, uh, you know, it's like you pressurize in the workshop and then to depressurize it means you can't be sitting there going, ah, what was all about for like a week straight? It's got to be that moment when you finally give up and just be like, oh, yeah, that was nice. I'm going, I'm onto this now, you know, I'm at dinner with my family or whatever. And then that kind of deflating happens where it's like, when it lets all the stuff rush in mm-hmm. and, and you get this, uh, this cycle where then it gives a bunch of new insights. And then you want to take that back to the practice hall and work with those insights and pressure it up again and then let it go and let the new stuff rush in and on and on and on it goes. So for the listeners here, if you wouldn't mind, like, can we do a little bit of like a, a crash course summary of like um, the pillars of Dashwan practice, um, just sure. so that we can start, uh, I guess, ha- having some more uh, concrete uh, ideas of how you, as as a practice, actually practice. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so so the first and main thing is practice every day. Then this is a difficult rule because when they say every day, they really mean every day. No breaks for Christmas, no breaks for tough long days, no breaks, no breaks at all until the end of your life. You're done. It's it's practicing <laughs> forever now. So this is the first concept. Um, uh, and this idea they talk about um, uh, boiling a uh, boiling water, right? You want to have it on the fire and leave it on the fire so the water transforms into gas. Then if you're constantly, if you've got a fire, but you put it on and it heats up a bit and then you take it off and it cools down, you put it on, it heats up, you know, on and off, you can do that forever without any transformation of the water happening. It heats up, it cools down, it heats up, it cools down. So this is a principle. And personally, I live this principle because uh, with my first teacher, the training was really, really great, but I wasn't such a good student. And um, I had, I was training probably between 10 and 20 hours a week, uh, something like this, which is a decent amount of training when you got full-time work. And, um, but I was missing days. And honestly, I got better progress when I did less training, but more consistently than having the, you know, the huge three hour sessions a couple of times a week and then Friday off because I'm going to the pub, you know, this, this kind of on again, off again thing, it was way, way, way slower. Um, and some things just never arrived and, uh, and so the daily training is super important. So that's the first first pillar of of the approach. And this is the main thing. If you get this and nothing else, then still you'll do all right. the The second thing is that we want to look at our training in a very balanced way. We look at the human in a yin yang theory um, way. Then we say the yang aspect, which is non manifest. It's not substantial. It's uh, less limited. Is the mind. The yin aspect, which is more dense, uh, more manifest, uh, more substantial, more limited, is the body. And then the connection, exchange between the two, yin-yang, uh, is the what they call qi. But qi is referring to an exchange between two opposites. Um, then qi, they say breathing, just to be simple, because the breathing is the first... Uh, obvious exchange between inside and outside right it's mm -hmm. i take the air outside i breathe that in i take what's inside and i breathe that out so then it's it's a big exchange a very obvious one that we can start the work with but the the chi is not just the breathing it goes deeper than this at some point but it's we, we base it in the breathing so then you have these three big categories of training which is essentially a moment where you're working the physicality a moment where you're working the breathing energetics and a moment where you're working the mind. And um, the big concept is that one of these is not more important than the other. So we don't ever work one at the expense of the other. To give you some examples in Western training at the gym, people can do like bodybuilding or whatever. It can be hours and hours of training the physical and no training of the breath and mind. Um, or you can have physical and maybe some breathing, but no mind. Um, people in meditation, like Buddhist meditation, especially, it's like a lot of working on the mind, maybe some breathing and no body and uh, the body degrades and, and so on. So, so in our school, we have this idea that no, they're all the same level of importance. We want to give them all the same attention in our training. Then a basic way that we let this happen is we take any training day that we've got say we've got an hour to do our training, we cut it into three pieces. So we have 20 minutes physical training, 20 minutes working on the breathing, energetics, whatever, and 20 minutes studying the mind. 
And this is a, a really interesting setup because, first of all, most people who come into the school these days come from a, some sort of history of training, and it means they have to let go of some. Because if they came from meditation and they're used to doing two hours of meditation a day, then suddenly they have to drop that and add some breathing and add some physical practices. Or if they come from a physical background, it's the same. They're used to doing, you know, the three-hour workout, two-hour workout, whatever. Like you got to drop it back. And this is too, already a little challenging, and it already shows the, you know, the reason we don't want to do it is because we subconsciously we understand that those other things are not going to be good because we haven't worked on them, and we can't want it avoid um so so we balance it out in this way and this is a um a, a balance based on essence not on really strict technique so we roughly do one third of each but that's also gonna you know you'll have periods where you focus on the physicality but in that period you just know later you'll have a period when you focus on the breathing and later you have a period where you focus on the on the mind but each of them just as important as the other and the way we train each of them shouldn't compromise the other thing uh, this is mostly in reference to the body because you can train the body in a way that really wrecks the mind mm. and the emotions. Then, then so we have to adjust the training uh, based on this principle of balance. With this principle of balance, because um, yeah, you talked about this a lot with the uh, in in the workshop as well. Like, I guess, what what why why is this important? You know, like find, finding the sense of center, getting balance with the these aspects you know in their workshop as well like we use this standing posture to like find this sense of balance as well like people talk about this a lot and i'm just interested to hear you expand a little bit about like why is that important because you know in this uh, modern world as well you can see like success being bestowed upon people who are like 100 percent on body or 100 percent on mind, yeah, yeah. Right? you get rewarded so, for being way out of balance <laughs> yeah and and but you know this is i guess um what is being manifested in this world right so i guess why why is pursuing like a, a well-rounded facets of you know what you presented there actually important for the bigger picture where i was just talking about the mind the breathing and the body the reason we take these three parts is because you can actually have roadblocks in your evolution based on any of these three parts. And if we have a very simple um, kind of concept, then the, the body is like the vessel, right? It's, it's the container that keeps us in the world. Very, very important container. Um, but if this body is leaking energy, if it's, uh, for example, if I'm really tense and, and you know, I've got a bad posture from working at the computer, my system's going to be spending lots of energy maintaining that tension to make sure the structure doesn't collapse and it's, it's very, very inefficient and we just use loads and loads of energy. So if we want more energy, we've got to have a, a body that can be well arranged. The problem is to do this training, you need to be able to focus for long periods of time. So you try to do the training, it's not working so well because my focus isn't good. Oh, and then the mind's a problem. Okay, we've got to look at the mind and understand why the mind is a problem. And we, we study and, okay, maybe we'll do the mind first so that we can then get onto the body when the mind is focused. But we try to work on the mind and it's aching because the structure is no good and I can't focus on my mind because I keep getting drawn to my body, not being able to sit for a long time. Um, and I'm tired because I have no energy. It's like, okay, well, maybe we need to work on the breathing first because the breathing will bring the energy and we try to work on the breathing but the energetics, the circulations, the sensations don't work so well because I'm tense in the body. 
and I can't even focus on what I'm doing because my mind is scattered. So you have this like chicken and egg thing where it's like, which one's the first problem? And we say, don't worry about that. Do all three at once. Then, then slowly you'll meet the, the barriers that prevent, uh, you know, vitality, circulation, stuff like this. And you might meet them in the physical aspect and then work on that for a bit and it resolves and the physical kind of gets stuck and you're realizing, ah, it's a mental blockage. And then that resolves and the, oh, it's an, you know, it's a breathing energetic blockage. And then that gets undone from your breathing work, which then informs the physical, you know, and so they're synergistic that each three is actually just uh, taking the whole and cutting it into three so we can focus on specific parts of it just so we don't miss something. Then, then this is the real focus of, of balance from this broader perspective, like why the training is structured the way it is. When we come down to us in the, in the world, this idea of centering you talked about in, in the, um, that we did in the workshop where you stand in a very particular way so your weight travels freely into the ground, um, this is, a again, it's a matter of vitality and efficiency. As you felt, uh, we have this drill where we stand in a particular way and uh, we'll go through this at some point and I've got a YouTube link anyway um, for the listeners. But you stand and set yourself up in a particular way and you try and let the weight into the center of the feet and you realize that the center is a little tricky to, to understand and so you rock forward to make the what it feels like when you're on the toes a little bit more obvious. You rock back to feel like what the heels feel a bit more obvious and then you go back to the center and it's a little clearer. And one thing we notice is that in the center there's this great relief of tension. Like as we push out to the extremities, everything goes like, gets tighter and tighter and tighter and exponentially so as we approach that limit of like stumbling forward or falling backwards and so we notice by doing this practice that from the center things are very very relaxed and very stable and then slowly we understand the center it becomes a place we can it's not that we want to stay in center that's uh you know you wouldn't ever get anything done if i just had to stand like this but if we know the center and we know the qualitative aspects of the center, then we can operate from the center, which means instead of leaving the center to do anything, it's like I reach out from the center to operate in the world. And we saw this in the push and pull drills at the end of the workshop. Uh, we set ourselves up, we try and push a friend over. And if you can contact that uh, quality of the center and operate from there, either receiving force from there or giving force from there, you notice actually it's a whole lot easier. I can send more force with less effort and I don't work nearly as hard. But the trouble is, is that when I try and send force, I don't know how to do it from the center. I end up leaving the center. I end up tensing everything and so on. So it's this long practice of what we call uniting. Then I need the young aspect, the going away from me, the yin aspect, the absorbing back into me. Uh, to connect them, I need something in between. I need a, a center point to make sense of them. And slowly I kind of connect it like a spider web where they're all interrelated because I've filled in the gaps. And this is really the idea of, of, of balance is actually to unite us, to, to make us whole again. Yeah. It, and as like this self-cultivation point, like finding that it's, um, as you mentioned, like it, exposes us to all these different areas which are further jumping points for us to address and then to keep on self self-evolving 
to discover deeper layers of ourselves, right? And uh, I really liked in um, yeah your internal strength workshop how you uh, presented this, I guess in in a physical form of practice where we were standing trying to find this point of center and adjusting like a micro sensitivity to where that was and how just very small changes with this gentle rocking just even like forwards and backwards left left or right could radically change that and sensing internally in the body what shifts were happening there you know and that was very different to then more gross disturbances, which we practice as well, where you had a partner, you know, like actively pushing and, and pulling you and sensing it from there. And I, I think, um, yeah, that delineates from maybe sometimes when you're doing something like a, a jumping pattern or something like that, where it's, it's quite hard, maybe like at the, at the beginning to have this sense of like groundedness and, and center because a lot's going on, but, um, from 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 a standing i don't know there's there's some there seems to be something unique about that posture where it gives you many opportunities for discovery to um uh, to try and find that i was trying to think about this the other day as well like why not lying or sitting or some other mm -hmm. sort of static posture why why standing i don't know if you have sure. more to add we we, to that. we actually use all all uh, all of the basic postures so you can do this in lying in sitting in standing and in walking then and then of course running's just kind of fast walking. And <laughs> um then uh we, we really have this idea that the we want to train across all three. We didn't have time to do it in the workshop. And the standing one is really interesting just because we spend a lot of our day previously in life at least standing. Um and it's uh kind of aligned with gravity and it's including the whole body. You know, when I'm sitting it takes the legs out a little bit. They don't have to bear weight anymore. So I I do the same thing more or less from the hips up uh, and mm -hmm. depending on where I'm sitting and how I'm sitting, the legs can can find the ground too, but they're not really loaded with weight. So the standing idea really lets us get the bigger sense that this idea of gravity traveling through us and not getting stuck anywhere in the system and releasing all the way down to the center of the feet. And of course, with the walking, it's, doing this on the move, then it's more difficult. Then the standing is really a good place to start because it's kind of global. Um, it's going to affect all of the others uh, more directly than, say, if I just practice sitting for a long time. Yeah, this uh, concept of just, just standing and witnessing what is happening as well, I think is a very powerful tool. Um, you know, over this past few weeks, um, with your help, Craig, you know, I've been practicing that uh, a bit more uh, than... Then, then regularly as well, um, and I think with the the way that you've guided it, and with some of the cues, and the, like with some of the positioning, I've 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 noticed quite a few things, and also like yeah, this sense of like deep relaxation after the session as well, and so you know this is something that we're excited because uh, uh, Craig's um, going to to share, I guess, a, a guided standing practice mm -hmm. uh at the at the end of this podcast that we'll we'll attach on so for anyone listening in you can um also at, at the end you know just put that on and then dash one is all about actual practice so you get to actually yeah. actually practice which i think is is really um cool but um yeah just from my own experience with uh, i think the 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 way that you int both introduce it but then like um uh put the 
put the focus of attention on 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 the person practicing is quite unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this uh, center idea is really cool because when we practice a little bit, especially with these drills like rocking, you know, I mentioned you 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 can very quickly in like five minutes show anyone that when you go to an extreme, there's more tension, and when you come back to center, it's more relaxed, uh, even if only a little bit. Then, then you realize the center is more relaxed in this extreme. And what we what happens when we stand in this more centered position and really put our intent on releasing, uh, sinking down through the body, like melting all the tension away down into the center of the foot, is that slowly all the superficial tension of our life, of our body, you know, melts away. The stress from the day melts away, and what's left is what won't melt. What's left are the tensions that won't change, won't resolve in that moment. And so we actually get this kind of reveal happening where we stand center and slowly it like all the superficial sea of noise falls away and we're left with something real, something, some, some genuine like long-term or deeper problems that are revealed to us that we can then work on. And of course, uh, the, the first and most simple work is to just keep applying that intention to melt, to melt, to sink down. And, and it's almost like the, you know, as we relax, even all the tension in the mind can release and melt down through the body. And I always thought of it a bit like a, an avalanche, you know, as you release this, all this stuff, you know, this muscular tension starts to fall down the body like a, like snow going down a hill, you know, and at some point, if there's a, blockage in the way it will just rest on that and you know you'll keep piling weight up on that and at some point that'll give to and start going down the body and it'll you know it'll take the other tensions with it slowly but surely and what we get is this kind of peeling back or reduction of tension that goes deeper and deeper and deeper the more we practice the more we can release deeply the more is revealed what's going on inside and this is why we call it internal work right we're getting this sense of more and more detail of what's going on internally rather than what we're doing externally. Then, And we start to realize that as this kind of sea of tension melts away, that it reveals some weaknesses usually, some things that are really, really stuck. They're not very strong. Um, and the, the confrontation I kind of had was that, you know, for as strong as parts of my body were, and in fact, I may have made it harder on myself by making some parts of my body too strong, and then the contrast was more with the weak thing, right? Whereas if you're just kind of weak and you melt, you're like, yeah, another weak thing. But if you're really strong, but you melt and something's horribly weak, it's like a lot more shocking. It's a lot more confronting because the contrast is bigger and you're like, oh, wow, I'm really, really, really weak in certain parts of my body. And by, first of all, by confronting this, we get a really, really interesting thing happen where we build a resilience uh, and a, a kind of accepting that there's weak points and all you need to do when you discover a weak point is put it through a process to make it strong. That's nice. And so we stop getting b- bothered by our weak, st- weak points. We just know if there's one, if we can find it, because it's really, really difficult to find it, then we know what to do. Then the most difficult thing is to actually reveal it. And slowly we do a practice and it reveals a weak link and we start celebrating because we've done the hard bit. You know, whereas most people go, oh, I don't want to know about that. And with experience, with training, it can actually be, um, the, the reverse uh, response, right? We go and we discover something new. It's like, oh, I haven't felt that before. I haven't felt that weakness there. And now I do. And now I can do something about it because I have the tools. I have the training to to resolve it. I didn't know where it was. And this is the big problem with the 
with the yin is this idea that it's hidden and needs to be revealed. Then as we go inside, it's like we can't feel exactly what's going on. And mm-hmm. the more we melt away the, the layers of tension, the more we find smaller and smaller but more fundamental kind of distortions in our system that take incredible amounts of energy to maintain. And as we resolve them and release them, then that energy is liberated into the system, ready to be used for our day-to-day life. And slowly we get this like like a accumulation of energy that, that we use some energy to release some stuff. And that's like, you know, our energy goes from 20 points to 25 points. And then we have that 25 points to do more work and resolve some stuff, which might resolve 10 points worth of energy. And then we have 35 points and, you know, on and on and on it goes until... Mm where we started was nowhere near where we are now where like you know you you start working in that i i've got ten thousand points of energy and i just liberated something that was holding five thousand points of energy so the jumps get bigger each time right mm. um it, it's a crude analogy but it, it gives it gives a sense of the style of work um and honestly this deep sense of relaxation that comes with the center as confronting as it is it's a bit of a paradox right because we feel so deeply relaxed but at the same time there's some weak points that are working really 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 hard and um and this paradox is kind of also very interesting it gives a resilience but also this sense of deep relaxation you talked about yeah well there are two jumping off points that i I want to explore here which is when um you know you started touching on it this um uh this delineation between i guess uh internal strength versus like external strength um and what might be like more traditionally understood as like strength or strength work um you know pull-ups things on on the rings that sort of stuff Uh, and then this other um idea that i want to explore with you which is this uh this tension relief and um the this method that you're talking about as versus like stretching flexibility development because a lot of people go into that seeking relief from tension right mm-hmm. so i think this is awesome because you actually have a background with all these physical development tools that um uh, with gymnastic strength flexibility mm-hmm. all that sort of thing but then you have this experience now with this other side of it so yeah i just want to hear you sort of encircle all of that and what you've experienced mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, first of all, with stretching, uh, we talk about opening, right? This this releases an opening that lets things fall, and and slowly you get this kind of feeling that the joints separate, and there's like space between each of the joints um, as the system opens and opens and opens, and you run into all these kind of closing points, which are the tensions where something's really kind of strongly contracted uh, in a pr- kind of pathological sense. Um, it's not that we don't want strong contractions. It's just that we don't want pathologically, like always on contractions, basically. Um, and so stretching, I've seen again and again and again that you can have a huge range of motion without open joints. And that, of course, depends a bit on the anatomy of the person and things like this. But uh, but it's very possible to like maintain this sea of tension that I talked about at the start. It hasn't even like released the first layer. But bend yourself into like contortionist things is totally, totally possible. I see this uh, plenty of times. Um, and uh, the same with the strength work, right? Uh, basically, my experience now with strength work is if I go and do a pull-up, I can find the union of the body, like this connection to everything, which when the body is whole, it includes all the weakest parts, right? Then all these weak links like fire up. They're getting forced through them. They're getting worked through them. 
And if I do a pull-up, for example, and I stay in this connectiveness, um, I have to go really slowly because, first of all, those points feel dodgy. And I can also find very quickly that the system will just switch back to what it knows from my previous training where it just introduces all that tension again to get the job done, right? And in that distortion, it kind of, it's like bringing back that sea of tension because it needs that help to actually get things done. But the issue then is if I do a stack of pull-ups like today, for example, I'll go and do my standing and then like, ah, uh, not releasing. And like this tension has come back into the system and it's holding again uh, for good reason because it wanted to protect these weak points and wanted to get something done. But it then takes, you know, 10, 15 minutes longer to release or in a bad case, like if I overdo it, it can be like a week or two weeks of work to undo one session of uh, pushing it too far. So this, uh, this sensitivity actually starts to let you feel what your body is up to and start to make choices about whether you want to do that or not. And some days I just go, yeah, I don't mind. I'll, I'll, I'll do the work later because I really want to do this thing and, and it's, it's not a problem, but I have a choice now, right? Whereas before I wasn't sensitive enough to know the result of pushing myself, the, the result of like lack of deep, deep relaxation, lack of regenerative capacity, stuff like this. So it gives a kind of sensitivity of us. We start to know ourselves better. And one of the things that comes from this is starting to respect our own limits a lot more than this is, this is, this is the kind of ego thing, right? Uh, I, suddenly I can't do all the things I really would like to do because they're fun and they're enjoyable and they look cool and all the rest because I know it's going to upset the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about this uh, as well. Like this, um, uh, this conscious, uh, choice that you're like okay um you talk about this in the workshop is like ultimately for you is it's like finding out the path that is correct for you and just going okay like that's what i'm doing but not deluding myself to thinking that oh because i'm practicing this it's gonna make me good at like some 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 something else or something else that's cool you know like 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 handstands because you've purposely you know this is what i'm doing and I'm happy about that. Yeah. Yeah, that was, um, uh, I'm kind of of a mind naturally just to be like, how does that work? This is why I got into flexibility because people would be like, this is a good exercise for splits, for example. And I'd just say, why is it a good exercise for splits? Like what's actually going on in this that exercise? And there's plenty of exercises where you realize like the muscle chain gets lengthened and then put under load. And that's really interesting, but that's different to lengthening the muscle chain and like deeply relaxing it when you're in a passive stretch, for example, which is different to like bunching up a muscle and like teaching it to contract to allow the other side to open with a kind of active flexibility thing. And so there's there's different mechanisms behind them all and one doesn't do the other. I can do all the passive stretching in the world, but it's not going to help my loaded stretching. So the same thing here, it was like just looking at the mechanisms at play, um, some of them are like, contrasting and i had to had to make a choice like do i want to make this mechanism work really well this kind of idea of deep release and discovery of all the weird small things going on inside or do i want to make that kind of more performance-based mechanism work well because um as you might have uh as i might have inferred with how i'm talking like these processes take a long time and if you want to be a performing athlete quickly they're not good processes they're actually very, very slow. There's way, way, way better ways of training. So, um, you know, by doing the the Taoist training, I'm not going to get good at handstands. 
What I will get good at is sensitivity in my body. So if I train the Taoist stuff for a long time, then I want to train handstands. I'll have this like micro sensitivity that I can uh, apply to handstands and that will help me uh, learn handstands maybe a little bit quicker. I don't know. I haven't tried yet, but uh, <laughs> but it, it, it feels like, you know, I've got a better sense of structure and how to align things with gravity and stuff like that. It might help, but I'll still have to be like getting all the handstand specific training happening again to to really make it work and the same in reverse is because all the you know no matter how coordinated you are in kind of a an acrobatic sense um that doesn't really apply to the coordinations we use because the coordinations we use in Taoism are a lot more subtle they're a lot more like in coordinating a whole bunch of like really complex internal mechanisms um that are not the same as gross motor skills of acrobatics and so a person may be able to do great acrobatics, but have no idea how to do like even the most basic uh, thing we do because the acrobatics function through a kind of tension system, whereas this is functioning through a kind of release. Yeah, this goes to back to your point earlier where it's like you found this lack of transfer with all this physical training that you did before with um, what, uh, what you're faced with. And I got a glimpse of that in the workshop because there was one task that you had us do where uh, yeah we were just standing but you started layering you know this idea of intent to move forward backwards side to uh, side to side um without actually moving until a certain point and then actually rocking a little bit forward or backward um and uh you layered on this like complexity even though for someone looking into the workshop in a room like you would have just seen me just standing there, but in that mo a moment, I was trying to actually hold this idea of rocking left and right, forward, backward, lifting, sinking all simultaneously. And it was like the hardest thing <laughs> yeah. that I've had to, like, had, had to do is like so much going on within, I guess, like this, this mind intent. And then the external manifestation of that was like, nothing you could say but mm -hmm. i was actually like a little bit tired after you know i, I don't know how long we were there like five, yeah. five ten minutes of just just trying to hold that where like my mind felt like really full and i was like whoa like what what happened there and i thought that was yeah that was an interesting experience because i can see directly how you were mentioning here about how the, you know some acrobat might be able to do all these flips and everything else but then with this task like that just be like crumbled to the ground like you wouldn't be able to do that yeah yeah and and i wouldn't be able to do the acrobatics either so it's like, <laughs> it, it's like right knowing what your tools do i i think is a, a really crucial part and part of this is like getting to the heart of what you actually want to do with your with the time you spend and the training you spend because a thing i like to regularly remind people is there's lots of people in the world who don't do like Taoist training and they just keep themselves nice and physically fit and they do their passion and they get to an old life and they live a good life and that's fine you know that's 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 a good use of your time what i don't think is a good use of your time is doing something like uh acrobatic training and thinking you're going to get the deep release and insight you get from Taoist training or vice versa then mm -hmm. then it's like get what you think you're doing on the same page as what you're actually doing. And this is where, this is the turn I had away from movement because I was actually doing all that stuff with a really like subconscious thought pattern that was saying, ah, this is cultivating me spiritually. And it wasn't, it was cultivating me physically in a really, really nice way, but it wasn't 
it wasn't like doing the things that the the Dawa systems do or, you know, any kind of traditional yogic system or whatever. And even those traditional systems all do that in a totally different way because just because I'm doing kind of traditional yoga doesn't mean I'll have any clue about how to do Taoism or like I wouldn't have any clue how to do yoga because I haven't trained it, right? It's, 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 um, the, the principle we use is this idea that the, you have the physical practice, the, the conscious practices, sorry, that, you know, if I do a practice and I really have to keep my intent on where do my hands go, where do my feet go, where, what's my posture meant to be, whatever, then my intent is occupied by that. And the only way to get past that is to train that enough that it becomes, you know, muscle memory, essentially. The unconscious knows how to do it. So I can just go kind of begin that thing and and the body remembers how to do it. Uh, let's say playing a guitar, right? You can play a song. And if you tr- practice enough in the muscle memory, you can just forget what the hands are doing and have a conversation with someone and play the song perfectly, right? Mm-hmm. At this point, the intent is freed to do another thing. So in our school, we start piling on the things, right? But each layer can only work to the degree that we've trained it repetitively enough that it's gone into this kind of unconscious memory, the, um, the muscle memory, that the unconscious has been transformed uh, and that can only be done by repetition. So if you haven't done the repetition, it doesn't matter what you've done, then that thing isn't going to to soak in, right? So it'll be uh, uh, impossible to do it. You'll need to manage it consciously, which you might be quick at, but it still doesn't take away uh, the need to then repeat it a lot. And so we have these two phases we talk about. There's the there's a phase of kind of learning uh, the technical aspect. You know, you have to stand like this and put the body like this and move the hands like this or, or place them like this. And that you can learn really quickly. That I mean, I think everyone picked it up more or less in the workshop in 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 five minutes or whatever. The exercises are simple. The problem is, is the next stage is the gong, which is the the work to actually infuse it in the system so that the unconscious can do it without the conscious needing to manage it. Mm-hmm. Then the more we do the gong, which is the repetition, the more the conscious mind becomes freed again and the practice is then, okay, it's freed, we do a ne- another thing and we start piling these things on and over time you've accumulated a bunch of things that you've uh, worked enough that it's in the unconscious that uh, you can you know, pile more and more and it accelerates because, you know, when you're, when you've got a pile of two things and you add one thing, okay, it changes a little bit. But if you've got a pile of like a million things and you add one thing, then each layer actually like amplifies it considerably. And because of this, it's actually just, uh, it'll be impossible for anyone who hasn't done the repetition to actually do the, the stuff. So this is where the lack of transferability, what the people with their training will be able to do is whatever they've trained really well, right? I can get an acrobat to, to maybe play with the first basic concept while they're doing backflips. If they've done enough backflips that they don't need to think about how to place their body in space, their mind is free and go, Oh, pay attention to your breathing or something. Then, then you can actually start layering up that stuff for sure. If they've trained, you know, whatever they've trained. So, so you can bring these qualities in, but they're still kind of starting from the beginning, even though they're doing it in a complex movement. Yeah. And it was cool because, uh, I saw a sort of direct parallel with this, um, famous triple I method, you know, of isolation, integration and improvisation, because, um, you know, you you introduce these um, exercises and tools in in isolation. And then we moved up in complexity into an integration by layering, you know, first you, you had us like separate breathing from like just the physical form of standing or, or, um, and then after that started moving to like integrating one and the two together and trying to hold 
the attention for for both of them at the same time, mm. right? And I can imagine that as you move further down in the layers of like, as you mentioned, like the unconscious understanding, then you can go to more like improvisational forms of just just moving, but still holding this as like um, uh, f- focuses of a- attention and investigation within what's happening yeah. internally. Yeah, and and this is how we let it leak into other things, right? Because the more this stuff is integrated and works unconsciously, then all you need to do consciously is kind of kick it off, like go with that thing, and you kind of, you know, it's like starting an airplane. You just flick all the buttons on, and all the systems kind of come online, and you can just leave it then to manage itself and go about whatever you're doing. And so the more you've done the gong, this repetitive training to soak the stuff in, the more you can go and do other things, and you can actually go and do your life you know i can walk to the shops and i can sit here and have a conversation and all i need to remember to do is kind of like you know activate all the the various layers if i practice them enough they'll they'll just sit there buzzing away in the background doing their thing um and and this is part of the practice this is to to build into this complexity uh this improvisational then can we have those qualities appear in situations that we've never had context for before can can you know there be some sort of pressure in the world? I don't know, maybe like a pandemic, where where there's all this pressures come in, and suddenly our, our you know our thing, our system just knows how to deal with pressure and stress. It knows the qualities and just activates, and and you can go about just dealing with that particular situation backed by these qualities. So for someone you know, uh, curious or like um, interested in this sort of stuff, I mean like. Yeah, who, who do you think this type of practice would be like a good fit for? You know, what might they be searching for? There are a couple of different people um, I've met in this search. Some people are really into a rehabilitative thing, like there's just something wrong with their body, with their mind, with their emotions or something, and they want to get to the bottom of it. Um, so this is, can be the first people that's kind of um, looking to rehabilitate themselves somehow. Yeah. Some people have just this curiosity, a drive, um, and a, in in the position that I recognize so clearly because that's where I was, like the thing they're doing isn't quite it. And you can see they're still like peering over the fence to see if there's a thing that might catch them and be the it thing, right? Um, uh, so there are some people like this and they're, they're maybe doing all kinds of different explorations trying to find out what the it thing is. And, and maybe this is it and maybe not, but uh, it's it's worth a try. And and some people are just just like uh, curious. Some people are just like have this mad curiosity to discover themselves and the world and and understand. Uh, this is kind of also a little bit my motivation. Like it's just a almost like if that's possible, what else is possible? You know, can what else can we discover about this? And and the school gets into some really esoteric topics too. And as you've seen, the way we treat the kind of esoteric aspect when we start to talk about energy or, or whatever like that, there's this big um, uh, let's bring it back down to earth, let's leave the common sense involved and actually test and test. And the amount of times I've been doing some like weird esoteric training, I'm like, is that, is that the thing? And I've written to my teacher, so she's like, no, more practice. <laughs> and they actually, all, all the esoteric things that, uh, you know, there's some basis to all these kind of new age hippie movements with these esoteric arts. But in my experience, the things that they're referred to by them take so much practice, like ridiculous amounts of like five and 10 years of practice just to get the basic version of that thing going. And 
anything else can be like a, a fantasy. But the good thing is, is if we test it and we study it, we can understand, ah, okay, that was my mind projecting and that was my wishful thinking and that, you know, and we can see all the different aspects and that moment was a real moment, you know, and we can actually have some really, really interesting, like mind blowing uh, discoveries about the world, you know, and our assumptions about the world and our assumptions about ourselves and, and what is and isn't possible. It, it can be, can be really, really mind blowing. So if you're curious enough about that kind of thing, um, and, uh, I, I feel like more and more people are curious these days where we're kind of running to the end of the tether of just, just buy some nice stuff and watch some shows and, and, you know, rinse and repeat until you die some people are, are really like no no there's got to be a bit more to this there's got to be something more going on than just this kind of material cycle yeah i think people are searching for for something right because there's this felt sense of like that um uh there's this 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 thing of lack right but mm-hmm. that is not to be filled up with like as you say like the the material things that are most readily available for us where it it's not nourishing for for some reason. So yeah, the external like, stuff doesn't nourish us. And this was really, really uh, obvious in COVID, right? There was a huge lockdown. Everyone was stuck inside. And who were we stuck inside with? Ourselves. Ourselves, yep. Right? Mm-hmm. And the degree of relationship we had with ourselves just shone through. Then all the people I know who've done, the work, done work and discovered themselves and understood all these deep aspects were just like, cool, and just got on with doing it. They were like, most of them were actually pretty happy that they got a bit of time to... Mm-hmm to go deeper into training or, or to, to relax a bit or whatever. Um, and not at all bothered. And the people who are not good with themselves, the people who have perpetually like distracted themselves with, with, uh, anything, you know, whether it be like TV or even going to the gym and doing exercise, cause that can be used as a distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, then they had a lot of trouble. And, and I think, you know, globally, everyone was like, Oh, I need to work on myself a little bit and understand more so that if something like this happens again, I can deal with it in a, in a more, um, uh, less pathological way, I guess, in a, in a more healthy way. So for anyone interested in seeking out, you know, your teachings, uh, like what have you got, um, offered either online or in, in person upcoming? Cool. I've got a couple of things in person upcoming. I'll talk about them first. Uh, I've just actually moved north of Brisbane to the Sunshine Coast, um, which is probably one of the nicest places on earth, I think. <laughs> um, and uh, so I'm up around the Noosa region. I'm starting some local classes here. Uh, you can get in touch with me and just ask about them. Everyone's welcome. We're kind of starting this process for beginners. And uh, as well as that, I've got a workshop coming up Um I don't know how quick the podcast is going to come out, but hopefully it'll be out before the workshop in two weeks from the time of recording. Uh, and uh, probably more interesting than that, later in the year in August, I'm doing my first retreat up this way, which will be five days of camping um, in this really, really beautiful valley. Uh, at a ret- ret- It's not really a retreat center. It's just a, a property that has like a an outdoor kitchen, some toilets and showers, and one covered area and the rest is wilderness and awesome. we're going to be just like hanging out camping it's kind of like my reimagining of the retreats i did with simon but instead of the training that simon does then then we're going to be doing like intensive Taoist training but um if you're a beginner don't be scared uh there'll be ways of regulating all the exercises 
for anyone, beginner or advanced or athletic or sedentary, it's all are welcome. So that's at the end of August, August 28th till September 3rd off the top of my head. Something like this is like five days um, up in the Sunshine Coast. Um, other than that, online training. Oh, I do do in uh, privates and, and things like this too. So I, if, if people want to do private training with me, I, I can go to them and, and train them in whatever they like. Uh, online training, there's a bit more available. I've got, first of all, a big community page on my website, which I put articles up. Um, there's like a little page of resources there with uh, books and YouTube clips and all sorts of things. If you're really inclined to get started without even talking to anyone, you can definitely like just go through this. You could make a very full practice from, from just trying, right? And this is one thing I really want to encourage people to do. Try even if you're not sure if you're doing it right, if you're not sure if it's working, just try. It can be really, really amazing. Um, actually had one, one guy who read one of Serge's books and he might be the only person I know who took a practice from that book and then practiced it for like a year straight. Every single day, he just went, wow. I'm going to try. And he this uh, he had some really, really nice results from this. Um, so just just try. You know, you read an exercise. It's nice to read about it, but do it. We're going back to this do it thing. So there's plenty of that level of information, you know, very, very accessible, very cheap uh, stuff. Uh, then kind of bumping up a level, there are some online courses I have that are eight weeks long. They're kind of like a workshop, but uh, spread out a little bit that you can take you yourself through in your own time. They're pre-recorded videos you can access whenever you want. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I've got them on a bunch of different topics. And then after this, uh, I also have uh, full online training where people connect with me and they get into into like I make them uh, a program or rather help them make a program for themselves and help them establish a daily practice and help them understand all the principles and and give them new practices as they need them and, and start taking them through this big process of investigating what the hell this human is. Well, Craig, you know, you're very generous with uh, a lot of the resources that you share. Um, you know, as mentioned, yeah, they're all on your website. It's craigmallet.com. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, I'll put that uh, detail in the show notes as well. So for anyone where this conversation has struck up curiosity as well, I do urge you to go over and check it out because, yeah, you can just sign up and then get um, stuck straight in if, if you want, uh, which yeah, is yeah, definitely. great. Some people do that. Some people dive right in. It's great. Um, and, and I'm such a nerd about this stuff. Like even if you're just curious, drop me an email. My email address is just contact at craigmallet.com. Uh, it's on my website anyway. If you if don't, then maybe we can chuck that in the notes as well. But uh, mm -hmm. but please email me, ask me any and every silly or good question. I like them all. And I will discuss at length plenty of stuff with you. Awesome, Craig. Well, you know, as mentioned, I think um, at this point we'll uh, I'll edit in you know this um, this standing practice as well. So for anyone listening, you know you can. Um, uh, save this point in, in time and then hopefully play this audio and start actually engaging with a, a taste tester of what Craig has to offer. Um, and yeah, if you guys are in the area and interested um, to practice with him in person, I do urge you to get in contact because I think you'll uh, get a lot out of it. But um, yeah, Craig, I think we've covered a lot today with this conversation. Um I just want to say thank you for making the time and the space to share all your thoughts and knowledge. Oh, thanks for having me on. It was really fun to go into it and super nice to meet you at the workshop. I was really happy to have you there. Yeah, awesome, Craig.
Thank you. And let's get into the practice. Let's do it. See you, Fayon. And now for the standing practice. So we're going to set ourselves up standing and we're going to build the posture up from the feet upwards. Then start with the feet about shoulder width apart and have the inside of the feet parallel so the big toes are pointing forward. The rest of the toes should be gently spread out from the big toe and the weight on the feet should be distributed evenly, which means I don't have my weight forward in the ball of the foot, I don't have my weight back in the heels, I don't have it collapsing inwards, and I don't have it pressing outwards. There should be no point on the foot that takes more weight than any other. The knees are above the feet, stacked above, pointing in the same direction as the big toes, and bent enough to let the hips hang down, so they're not super bent, nor are they super straight. The hips, the tailbone, are really opening and hanging down. You really want the hips to hang like a weight hanging from a ribbon. Have the pelvis hang off the torso like this. Do not tuck the tail, do not untuck the tail. The action is to open and release the hips, like you're dropping something. From this dropping of the hips, the weight of the hips will drag the abdominal wall and the lower back long and open. It will open both sides. If you find that your abdomen's tight or your lower back is tight, just constantly work to relax them and release them. You need to be willing to let go of the six pack of holding the belly. Let it drop down, let the weight of the hips draw the lower back and the abs down. From the sternum, sink the sternum as if you were taking a breath out or a sigh, like ah, and you feel the sternum drop. You don't have to do the sigh, you just need that action of releasing the sternum. And do the same thing with the shoulder blades. Let the shoulder blades fall heavily down the back in the same way that the sternum fell down the front then you shouldn't have the sternum being lifted from the shoulder blades sinking, nor should you have the shoulder blades being lifted from the sternum sinking. Let them both drop down evenly. For the shoulders, open the shoulders, stretch them out to the side, and then let the shoulders hang heavily out of the socket, hang the elbow heavily from the shoulder, hang the wrist heavily from the elbow, and hang the fingers heavily from the wrist as if the arms were heavy ropes hanging at your side, not being held at all. Tuck the chin and gently raise through the top of the head. And we want to spend a few minutes going through this process from the feet, make sure they're both pointing forward and the weight's in the middle. Make sure the knees are stacked over the feet nicely. Make sure the hips are hanging heavily and open. Make sure the abdominals and the lower back are relaxed and being drawn along by the heavy hips. 
sink the sternum, sink the shoulder blades, spread the shoulders out and relax them heavily by the side, neither forward nor backwards. Let the elbows hang heavily out of the shoulders, the fingertips hang heavily off the elbow. Tuck the chin and reach through the top of the head gently as if you're trying to touch your crown to the sky. And you can repeat this a few times. Once you've done that, then holding this nice structural shape, breathe in and emphasize the reaching through the top of the head, the spreading out of the shoulders, the spreading out of the hips, making the posture a little more perfect, pushing it to be better. Breathe out and let all the excessive tension you can feel melt down through the body, draining through the body like honey rolling down the skin or the surface and let it the weight drain down into the middle of the feet. It can feel a little bit like the upper body weight. It starts to crush the lower body into the ground. You want to stay with this feeling and continually try and emphasize it on the breath out. The next breath in, you reach up through the top of the head, spreading the shoulders and hips out and gen generally making the posture more perfect. Breathe out, keep this perfect posture and melt away all the excessive tension, all the muscles, the skins, the connective tissue as if they turn to honey and drain down the body. Feel the muscles relaxing, feel the weight from the body drain down and it's important here not to visualize anything don't imagine anything feel feel these tensions in the body try to relax them if they don't relax it's okay just keep the intent to release them to drain to melt them and repeat this cycle breathing in stretching up through the top of the head spreading the shoulders and hips out breathe out draining down into the center of the feet and we repeat this cycle a few times. You might at some point notice that the mind is a kind of tension as well where it wants to think about what's going on. On every breath out cycle invite the mind as well to release to melt down into and through the body down into the center of the feet and as you breathe in and reach up through the top of the head don't let the mind come back up just let it stay relaxed and down and then as I breathe out I melt again down through the body letting the mind be melted along with the the muscles and soft tissue stay with this process for the next five to ten minutes and there will be a bell at the end after the time is done letting you know to finish.
I hope you enjoyed that piece of practice and the conversation. Thank you guys for sticking all the way to the end. Thank you for your support as always. If you have any questions, you can feel free to reach me on Instagram. That's at Fayonp at P-H-A-O-N-P. Or you can head on over to the website at thepassivehang.com. All right, guys. Well, that is it for today. I will see you in the next episode.